take out your Bibles and turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Many of you will remember in high school, um, even though it was a long time ago for some of you, uh, we always voted for the most likely to succeed, the most likely to be a great athlete, the most likely to, I don't know, do something or other. That We had all these things that we voted on. Uh, you'll be happy to know that I was not voted for any of those things. Um, I'm surprised that anyone would ever remember me from high school because I was completely average in every way possible, except to some of my teachers. They couldn't stand me being around. And so um, it's always fun for me to run into old teachers of mine. Sometimes on Monday nights, I've had actually three of my former teachers show up to Bible study not knowing that it was me doing the Bible study, (laughs) and their eyes get this big when they realize that now I'm the teacher, and they're in my classroom. I have a lot of fun with them. But anyway, we have these things that we vote most likely to be something successful, any of those things. Well, we have three sayings in uh, our creeds, in the Apostles' Creed, uh, and three three to four sayings in our creeds uh, that are very likely to be confused about what we mean. Uh, We've talked about many of those things already. Uh, What does it mean that Christ ascended into hell? Uh, We talked about that uh, in the Nicene Creed on page 846 of your hymnals, uh, the one that we confess every other week. Uh, There are some other things that can can be confused. For example, what do we mean when we say that Christ is the only begotten Son of God? We talked about that. Uh, not that Christ is begotten of the Father, meaning he's, something, he's one who is created, uh, because even our confession says that he is God uh, himself, that he was not create, created, but he was begotten of the Father. We talked about what that meant. Uh, we also talked about uh, the uh, Holy Catholic Church, what we mean when we say uh, that we are a Catholic church. Now, we are a Presbyterian church, uh, and yet we do claim that we are a Catholic church, little c, meaning that we are members of the universal body of Christ. And then today, right under that, what does it mean when we confess that we acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins? That saying is likely to be confused, and perhaps many of you have been confused about what we mean when we confess that baptism, that we believe in baptism for the remission of sins. Because it sounds like what we're saying whenever we confess that, that we believe that we are saved in our baptism. Well, we don't believe that as a church. We do not believe that baptism or water baptism saves us. There's two ditches that we want to avoid as we talk about what it means, uh, baptism for the remission of sins. Uh, The first one is this, that baptism saves us. There are many denominations and churches that teach this very thing, most notably the uh, Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, and also some in the Anglican Church teach us uh, teach that baptism, water baptism, saves us. Well, we do not believe that. The second ditch, however, for us to avoid is that baptism merely symbolizes. Uh, and in that, that water baptism doesn't mean anything. Most evangelicals fall into this category. And we want to avoid both of those ditches. So what do we believe about baptism? Well, we believe that baptism is for the remission of sins, and we see that in this text. But let's talk about what that means. Let me read this for you. This is Titus chapter 3. I'm going to start, let me read uh, verse 1. I'm going to start at verse 1, and I'll read through verse 7. 
Hear God's good and authoritative word for us this morning. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help in understanding His Word. Pray with me. Lord, we thank You for giving us this Word, and we pray that You would help us to understand it. Lord, we pray that we would see the glory of Your Son, Jesus Christ, that our focus would be on Him and not on ourselves. And we thank You for giving us this day of worship. We thank you for giving us this word that is the reminder of who we are and how great you are for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to see three things here. Uh, We're going to see, first of all, the blemish of sin in verse 3. Secondly, we're going to see the bath in verses 4 through 6. And then thirdly, the benefit of that bath in verse 7. So first, the blemish. Well, Christianity is one story. Our Sunday school curriculum for the children is called One Story Ministries because we believe that the scriptures teach one unified story from the very beginning. And the story goes like this very quickly. God created the world perfectly, that everything worked exactly how he wanted it to work. The very pinnacle of that creation is man and woman. Actually, the very pinnacle of that creation is woman. Um, And he created man and woman to operate in such a way that they interact with each other uh, according to the image uh, that he made them. He made them after his own image. That's Genesis 1 and 2. And then Genesis 3, where of their own free will, Adam and Eve sin by being disobedient to God. And we learn through the rest of the scripture that the rest of human history is the outworking of that sin. That in Adam, every human that came after him fell into sin because of Adam and Eve's first sin. Romans chapter 5 teaches us that very thing. So that's the story of who we are. That we are, in Adam, sinners. The title for this is Original Sin. That we are by nature born in original sin because we are the descendants of Adam. So what does that mean for us? Look at verse 3. This is who we are. This is what we are like at our birth. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. This is... The testimony of Scripture about who we are. We are blemished 
because of sin. And he says we are foolish, we are disobedient. We're all of these things, we're slaves to passions. And then at the end of that, he talks about we're, we're people who by nature hate. We hate others. We hate ourselves even, but more than that, we're hated by others and we hate others. That's who we are. If you want to see a fuller treatment of what that sin nature looks like, you can look at Romans 1 through 3, but that's a very nice summary statement of who we are as sinners. And you get a picture of what it's like to be a person just passing your day in this world, hatred and malice and envy and all of those things that you and I understand all too well. And if you think that Paul here is making this up, if you think that Paul is the one that's introducing this idea of original sin, well, let me, I could just point you back to the very words of Jesus. Uh, oftentimes in our society, in our culture, we say, if we could just live more like Jesus in his loving way, then everything would be better. But even Jesus, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he looks at his disciples and he calls them evil. He says, if you, being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. So his closest disciples, he says, you are evil. So that's the loving Jesus who is reminding us who we are, that we are evil, and that is the testimony of God about who we are. Um, We need to recognize that this is, of all the things that Christianity teaches, this is the least popular teaching of Christianity. I fully, full well recognize that this is not something that Christians like to talk about or that the world likes to talk about. Many people will deny this teaching because we don't want to make people feel bad. Unfortunately, we don't get to decide what's true by a vote. Uh, Even in the midst of an election season where we decide which politicians we think are good or bad, we don't get to decide Christian doctrine or the truth in that way. Uh, recently I read an article uh, that I didn't like to read, and it was about um, U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan who were not allowed to step in to prevent uh, the rape of young boys by Muslim men. Um, Because, as a society, we've decided that we can't look at one culture and say that we're better than you. Brothers and sisters, as Christians, we need to be able to look out and say, it's not that we're better, it's that we are all sinners before God. And our hearts are just like this, and we need to be confronted with our sin. And even though this teaching is not popular, it's the truth, not about who they are out there, but who we are in here. This is the Bible's testimony about us. We are sinners. And God's evaluation of who we are is the most important thing that we can hear. God is holy and we are not. And His holiness demands justice. Now, that's the bad news. We have to hear the bad news. Because if we don't hear the bad news, then the good news doesn't make any sense. Too often Christians and Christian preachers will say, Well, hear the good news, but if the good news is only good because of the bad news... The bad news is that you are a sinner, but look how Paul goes into this next thing, and we talk here about the bath. We see the blemish, secondly, the bath in verses 4 through 6. Verse 4, one of Paul's favorite words is, but, B-U-T, but, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. 
He says, that's who you once were, sinners before God. But now, look at who you are. But God saves sinners. Here's the reality. Sinners are the only group of people that need to be saved. Sinners are the only ones dead in their trespasses and sins that need a God who saves them. If you think to yourself that I am not a sinner, then of course you think I don't need salvation. But here we see that, yes, we are sinners, and God in His goodness and His grace and His mercy saves sinners like us. But how does God save us? Look in verse 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Uh, This is another opportunity for us to rehearse the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. We've heard the bad news, we're sinners. The good news, that God saves sinners like us. How does he do it? Uh, This is what's titled in Christianity, justification. It's another big word, and it's a word that you need to know, justification. What does justification mean? The popular saying is that justification means just as if I had never sinned. That's not what justification is. That is a result of justification that God looks at us and says, yes, it's like you have never sinned. But justification is so much better than that. It's that God looks at guilty sinners and says, you are declared righteous. That in his holiness, he looks at people like you and me, sinners who were foolish, who were all of these things, who practiced daily malice and envy and strife, sinners who hated others, who were hated by others, and God looks at haters like us, murderers, adulterers, sinners, and he says, I declare you not guilty. And that's good news for us. We need that declaration from God. In order for anyone to be justified, we need to be declared righteous. So the question is, how does God declare that which is unrighteous, righteous? How does he make us who are sinners And how can he say in justice that we are not sinners? Well, there has to be a payment for that sin, and that's what Jesus Christ did. We see here the work of Jesus Christ for us. Justification is a result of Jesus Christ's work for us, that he lived the perfect life that we could not live. For 33 years, he never sinned. And because of that... We have his imputed righteousness, that God gives us his record. And then, not only that, he goes to the cross. He died the death that we deserved for our sins. On the cross, hanging there, the Father poured out on the Son. He just poured out all of his wrath on, that we deserve on his Son so that we can have the penalty of our sin taken away. And then he rose him from the dead. And in the rising, raising of his son from the dead, he gave him new life and he gives us new life in that as well. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How does he do it? It says he does this by a work of the Spirit internally in us. So we do not as a church confess that water baptism, that the sprinkling of water or even in the dipping of water, if that's the way that you were baptized... We do not confess that that is what saves us, but actually it's an internal work of the Spirit. That's what he says here. He says in verse 5 again, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. 
Because the reality is that we cannot wash away the stain of sin ourselves. We can't open ourselves up, open up our hearts, and pour water in there to wash us away. External water baptism cannot accomplish that internal washing. Many of the people that say that water baptism does that, they are making baptism a work. And here, here's what we're told. He saves us not because of works done by us. And I'll add just a little note of commentary or works done by, some, by someone else to us. In this church, we baptize infants. We do not say that just because an infant is baptized that they are therefore saved. What we say is that that is a sign and a seal pointing to the need for the internal washing by the Spirit. We cannot force a a washing of the Spirit on anyone, and we do not believe that. Because water baptisms, in order for them to be efficacious or effective, have to be combined with faith. And so inherent in this, as I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, as I preach that we are justified by God, There is a calling here for you to believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So that your baptism is not effective unless you believe. That doesn't mean that it's not important because baptism is both a sign and a seal of the covenant of God's grace. It is an external sign. It is an external sign of the internal realities of the Spirit. But faith is is again the thing that makes it effective. Or efficacious. We should not confuse the sign with the thing signified. And therefore, if you think that you are secure in Christ because you have been baptized by water, you are in danger. Do not put your hope in your baptism by water. Your only hope can be in the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work. Well, what do we get here? We get the benefit. And in verse 7, we see the benefit of the baptism. This is what... Paul tells us, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What are the benefits of this internal washing? Uh, If you have been washed by the Spirit, what do you have? You have, first of all, standing with God. You have security with God. But notice, it's not because of what you have done. Your security comes because of what God has done for you. Now, you and I need this kind of standing. We need this kind of security. In most of our lives, we are trying to find a security like that. That's why men, most of you get up, men and women, you get up and you go to work on a daily basis to provide security for your family. And if you're honest, you look back and you say, I hope that I provided something for my family some kind of security for them so that they can have standing. The problem is that we take our works and we say that is the standing that matters with God. Ladies, it might be something else for you. It could be your work, but it could be maybe your ability to raise your children or to be a good mother or grandmother. And you say, as long as I can be good enough for my children, then that is my standing and theirs. We all want standing, but Paul reminds us the only standing that we can have is through the work of God giving us and pointing, to, uh, pointing us to the work of the Son in Jesus Christ, the finished work of Jesus. And that's the benefit, the first benefit of that internal washing. Secondly, the benefit of the internal washing is that Paul tells us we are heirs of God. 
heirs of God, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Um, Every now and then, I'll catch myself dreaming about having a long-lost aunt or uncle that um, somehow or another just gives me an inheritance that I don't know nothing about, okay? Uh, Maybe you think about that. And somewhere, maybe in England, I I know that uh, my grandmother has told me that uh, we are descendants in Scotland of the Borthwicks, or the Borthwicks. And the Borthwicks have a castle in Edinburgh. And she said, if you ever go to Edinburgh, you can go, and they have this long genealogy. And actually, my name is listed in Borthwick Castle. And so if we go, they may even let me spend the night in Borthwick Castle. It's a castle where Mary, Queen of Scots, hid out from the Protestants. And I thought, oh, no, I'm Protestant. I got this Catholic family in my background in Scotland. But I keep on hoping maybe somewhere I'm the last Borthwick that's ever been born, and and they're going to give me an inheritance that castle. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I'd have to transport all of you there so I could still be your pastor, okay? We could all live in a castle together. But our hope isn't in an inheritance in this world. Our hope is that we are heirs of God and heirs of His kingdom. Part of being heirs of God and heirs of His kingdom is that we have responsibilities. Um, my dad was fond of reminding me of this. As a Dotson, I have responsibilities to live like Dotsons live. Um, and my dad's a great man, and so it's hard for me to live as good as my dad did, but yet there it is. We have responsibilities because we are the children of our parents, and since God is our Father, we have responsibilities. And what's that primary responsibility? That's to reflect His his image in extending His kingdom and stewarding His kingdom. That means that we need to be wise in the way that we use the things of this world because ultimately they're His things. It means that we need to be wise with how we use the resources that he's given us. It means that we need to be wise and good stewards of even things like how we vote. We need to be considerate of those things. It also means that we need to be as kind and gracious as our loving and kind and gracious Father. So that even though the world looks at doctrines like sin and they say that's disgusting and we don't like it, we don't respond in kind, but we actually respond in gentleness. And we say, I understand I don't like sin either, but the only way for us to actually deal with it is to have it dealt with in the Son, Jesus Christ. But there are also privileges of being an heir of God. We are children of the King right now. It's hard for us to live in that reality, but if we have an internal washing by the Spirit, we are God's children right now. So guess what? We do have a castle That is ours, and it's much better than a castle in Edinburgh, Scotland. It's a castle of an eternal significance, that we are children of the king right now. And actually, that actually helps us go through things like trials and tribulations. God's in control of all things, and whenever we face trials and tribulations of any kind, we can look at our kind and loving Father and say, though these things are meant for evil by so many in so many ways, you mean them for good. So when our health is taken from us, when our wealth is taken from us, so that when we lose loved ones, when we go through trials, when we have hardship, we can say, Lord, I trust you through it, and I have an eternal inheritance and the privilege of being called your child right now. And we have, even better than that, the hope of eternal life. 
The reality is that this world isn't all there is. I've said this in a couple of times over this, these past few sermons. This isn't it. And that's good news. The rain is going to pass. The sun will come out again. We're going to go through struggles, and yet this life is not all there is. One day we can look forward to a time when there will be no more sickness. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more sin that resides in us. There's going to be a time where we no longer need to confess our sins to the Father. Because He will give us a completely new heart that only worships Him all the time. That is only delighted in Him all the time. And this changes how we live right now. It's not just hope for the future, but it's hope for today. It allows you to face all the things that we go through. So the question is, have you been washed There are only two types of people in the world, washed and unwashed. Either the Spirit has done the work inside of you, or He hasn't. And so I ask you now, if you have had the Spirit tugging on your heart, come to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. Put your faith in Him. Put your hope in Him. Stop putting your hope in yourself, because that's ultimately what it means to be a Christian, is to stop hoping in yourself and put your hope in Christ. Now, We do believe that water baptism is important. Some of you maybe haven't been baptized. And I invite you to be baptized. Uh, I will be happy to baptize you in this church if your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have been baptized, good. Then your hope, or or my my, uh, word to you is to continue to place your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And live a life of appreciation for the washing that he's done for you. Next week, we're going to talk about the Reformation a little bit. It's Reformation Sunday already. Uh, It comes around once a year. Uh, The principle of uh, baptism and what happens in baptism uh, was one of the principal things that that was fought for and that men and women died for in the Reformation. These are important things for us. But let me just remind you once again that our baptism comes by the washing of the Holy Spirit. And it's not anything that we do external to us that saves us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this word. I pray that you would help us to uh, continue to uh, trust in the Lord if we have already. I pray that you would point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone here does not know you, I ask and pray that you would do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do in regeneration and in renewal. And I pray that you would carry us all uh, ultimately to the cross and that we would delight to stay there having our sin dealt with in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this. In Christ's name.